X-Ray. And welcome to the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Sorry. <laughs> we had a little hijinks in the studio before that started. We were trying to hit a cue and we failed miserably. We we, we, we made ourselves laugh and blew our cue. <laughs> totally unprofessional. Uh, luckily, we're not live. We're only nearly live from the studios of X-Ray FM here in the Falcon Art Building in beautiful North Portland. Noise. That was a good seg- seg- segue. Thank you. Yeah, well um, done. Because I'm semi-pro. You're on your game. Nearly, <laughs> on I'm game. nearly pro. <laughs> For about three minutes, and then I start uh, with my usual verbal fillers and trailing off and other things that drive people nuts. Yeah, we'll hear more about that. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, it is um, New Year's Eve. Yeah, as we record this, it is New Year's Eve. It is still uh, last year. Which is going to be relevant to today's podcast, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But uh, happy New Year's Eve to you. Indeed, and to you too. And and it's on lo- uh, not only just the end of the, the year, it's the end of the decade, depending on how... How you count. How you but count. I think it's fine if you talk about 20s, 30s. That's everybody understands. That's going to start January 1st of 2020. Yeah, the pedantic argument that uh, it's got that a year's got to start, a decade's got to start at, at uh, like on the ones because uh, there was. Well, that's that's correct if you talk about the if you're counting decades, like if this is the 862nd decade since blah blah blah. But it's always since blah blah blah. There was no year one, so all of that is completely arbitrary. We could count decades from the fives or the fives the fours if we wanted to. It, there's no actual starting time, well, so it's if all using a the theoretical Roman, framework. For using the Roman calendar, so I got pedantic around the the 21st century thing in Majiggy, well, on the eve 19, 1999. And how did that go for you? You lost. Yeah, basically, like nobody cared. <laughs> but wait, <laughs> think so, about it, people. Yeah, and since we did it, then we we got to keep rolling. All right, I'm just just remember there was no year zero on the Roman calendar. Okay, w- and we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, there's no oh. year one either. There's no re- yeah. Anyway, but wait arbitrary. a minute, you're Jeff. Oh, Jeff Allworth. Now we come back to the yeah. actual. Uh, Podcast. All right. Yes. Carry on. Because I find it boring to just start introducing right away. But for people new to the podcast, welcome. With me, as in every podcast, although I hesitated because there was one podcast where I was alone here and you were only a disembodied voice. It's true. But But with me physically, spiritually, and podcastingly is Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including The Beer Bible and The Widmer Way. Currently working on The Beer Bible Part 2. Uh, second edition. There's no. Uh, there's no. To... There's no more to talk about. Uh, well, I'll add some stuff. But anyway, you are Patrick Emerson, a professor of economics at Oregon State University. That's uh, correct. And with the new year means a new term. Yeah. Back, back in the classroom. Yeah, back in the classroom. Although you have a little while, right? Not much. Uh, on Monday. Oh. Yeah. It's wow. A, we're quarter system, so we start right away. All right. Yeah, it's a it's the big one. It's the twenty week haul. Well, twenty week with a week of spring break in between, so twenty one weeks of straight education. <laughs> twenty twenty weeks where you have to actually do actually, your job. Then you got to throw in the finals week, so that's like twenty three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The got people it. who are out there who work fifty weeks a year are they're suffering with you. Well, for my in my own defense, that's half of my job. So half of my job is a little bit seasonal, cyclical. Yeah. The teaching part, and then there's the research part, which never ends. I kid you. The thing is, you're a you're a uh, a man of the mind, and the mind is not constrained by temporal considerations. You don't punch t- time clock. 
That's right. That's why when I'm, you know, like sitting around in a pub drinking beers and thinking about stuff. That's right. I'm, ba- I'm basically on the clock. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's probably where inspiration strikes. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so how, how are your holidays? Well, they're, they're, as you mentioned, it's New Year's Eve, so they're underway. Yes. But, but how have they gone so far? Pretty well so far. We went to the coast, Sally and I, uh, and it was bizarrely sunny and warm. So very pleasant, slightly alarming, but a uh, wonderful time. And you, I heard you uh, had the pestilence come through the house. Yeah. And it might actually come through in the podcast uh, because it's still, I have residual congestion in my chest. So my apologies if I get froggy or have to clear my throat. Uh, yeah. It was kind of a, a, a mash unit in my household during, <laughs> during the, uh, the festivities. Um, we were all sick. My wife is a grade school teacher mm-hmm. and she tends to bring, especially this time of year, uh, lots of yummy uh, germs and viruses home. Merry Christmas. And Merry, Merry Christmas. Usually it affects her. <laughs> so she's usually the one who's sick. She recovered and she was doing pretty well. And the rest of us got really sick. <laughs> so, uh, but so it was fun. Thank oh. you. You and Simon both look like you're in better fettle. Yeah. Simon was the worst off, but also recovered the qu- most quickly. So, yeah. All right. Before we get started, we'd like to thank Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beer Vana podcast. You can find them in Hood River, Oregon and at freembeer.com. That's P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R.com. Indeed. That was good. You did it, man. Yeah. And I didn't even misspell Freem. <laughs> That's always a bonus. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I, I was out at the coast, by the way, for a quick uh, jaunt because I dropped my, my little one, my little one out there. Yeah. So we spent a few hours, but it was also kind of a nice, not bright and sunny, uh, but it was kind of nice. But what was fun was the sea was roiling. You couldn't even tell that there was, there must've been some big sort surge, some storm surge from somewhere because you couldn't tell high tide from low tide. We sat there for quite a few hours and the level of the sea barely changed. So it was nice. Lots of big waves. That's weird. I think the, the, the thing is right now the tides are very high. We had a tide chart and I got to look at them. Mm-hmm. Apparently the winter tides are high. And so, uh, and they're, the, in fact, the lows are not very low. The lows are, yeah, th- three feet higher than, uh, similar lows in the summer. Yeah. So, yeah. The, and it means there's big surf too. We got to see some amazing waves. Coming. Yeah. The surf was great. Yeah. That was funny to sit there mesmerized by the surf. Uh, but <laughs> be that as it may, we should probably get around to talking about beer. Indeed. <laughs> You'll join us for our other podcast, The Surf at the Oregon Coast. A timeless mystery. A timeless mystery. <laughs> Here comes another wave. Where did it come from? Where is it going? Uh, all right. So uh, as we record the podcast, as we talked about, this is the last day of the decade, uh, at least as decades are popularly tracked. I thought you said properly and I was about to start getting it. <laughs> uh, a lot happened. See, this is the funny thing. The last day of the tens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a lot has happened in the 2010s from changing. The I knew tr- it would tickle your pedantism. <laughs> I can't help myself. From changing fortunes in the craft and mass market segments, the emergence of new product categories and lots of change and evolution in beer itself. So today we're going to give all that a careful look. Uh, but before you do that, of course, we have to do the news. In really obvious news, we missed in our last roundup, Kieran Own Lion 
purchased New Belgium. This is big news for a variety of reasons. Not only is New Belgium one of the largest and most admired American craft breweries, but it was also employee-owned. This is the second time uh, employees in an ESOP program have decided to sell their brewery following full sale in 2015. This sale was valued at between 350 and 400 million, according to reports. And on December 17th, the employees at New Belgium voted to approve the deal. So Patrick. I think, by the way, in our own defense, I think it actually did weren't a mention when we were talking about other acquisitions. We sort of, in passing, we talked about it, but we didn't. No, we mentioned, you mentioned it. And then, yeah. and then, and then we, and then we, and then you said, why didn't, wasn't that in the news roundup? And I said, <laughs> oh my God, you're right. That was kind of big news. Okay. So now we're going to give it the deep dive. Well, yeah. I want to ask you a question. Why, why are ESOPs, you would, you know, brewery owners go to all the trouble to create these ESOPs to leave their employees, this wonderful business. And then it seems like in many cases, those employees immediately go and turn around and sell it. What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, if how how much data there are in these anecdotes, but uh, I think it's just like any uh, asset that um, you can convert into uh, a liquid, uh, an a, a non liquid asset that you can convert to liquid asset is very enticing. Uh, so to be able to cash out cash out and turn this <clears throat> excuse me there you go uh, uh, um, stock. Uh, uh, ownership stake in the company into uh, a real liquid asset is a very strong temptation. And I think it's also a strong temptation for, for brewery owners and non-ESOP non uh, situations as well. So right. you see a lot of breweries that have sold out um, the capital. I think it's the same, the same instinct. Should we read anything into uh, the motives of the employees in the sense that if they hung on to it, their stock might go up. So if they're selling, does that mean that they believe that the company is going to lose value? I think it's possible that the employees of New Belgium have seen the fate of other uh, larger, more regional breweries and the troubles they're having. I don't actually know. You might know more about the New Belgium stats um, yourself. Uh, you mean in how much they make? I think they make around a million barrels. Is that what you mean? No, I mean in, the, in their trend. Are they trending up or I, down? I think they went down and then they stabilized. I think they did a, a Sierra Nevada. Okay. I think they're, I think they're, they're, I think they've done better to write the ship than some other big brewers. So I guess what I would say is that, uh, I think the employees would probably be less likely to do it if they were just growing great guns. Yeah. Uh, and they're not anymore. And, uh, it, you, you know, you want to. Uh, buy low and sell high, and so they might think that this is a really good time to cash out. This might be the the max uh, value point, especially when you think about discounting for the future. Mm -hmm. So maybe you get a little more value in the future, but you also have to wait for it, which is costly. So uh, they might be just quite savvy and say, "This is you know, given the industry trends, especially for breweries that size and the amount that they can sell for now, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all." I mean. Um, You've sort of created a, a real stake in the company, and so they're probably quite uh, intelligent in thinking about whether it's worth selling at this point. Right. Yeah. Would they're you thinking. say so? So Full Sail did this in 2015. Yeah. Would you say that that was a wise choice, given what's happened to Full Sail since? Well, yeah, certainly given what's happened to Full Sail since, they their 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 choice to sell it to private equity at a time when the market was very hot, 2015, it was at its peak. Right. Uh, and then, uh, 
have a have people who grossly mismanage the brand come in and and basically drive it into the ground it now is a it smell it sells less beer uh, than freem it's not even the biggest uh, selling it's not even the largest brewery in are you serious yeah I, at least in in oregon i don't know about nationally the, uh uh, full sale beer. They full brew a beer. lot of beer still. I I I don't know how well they're selling nationally either, but they have collapsed in Oregon, and right. now they it's they show. I mean, it's hard to find them now on store shelves. Yeah. A bit. Yeah, I mean, it's to command just... you know a third of the <laughs> of the cooler, right? If they'd sold that brewery to uh, Lion, for example, a company that knows how to sell beer and knows what uh, branding looks like, it might have been different. But yeah, it was. I I mean, I I feel like those employees probably are pretty happy that they got the money while they did looking at things now. Yeah. So I think that this, um, I imagine that new Belgium sort of look at the same, the same metrics or the same situation and think, yeah, this might be a good chance to, to cash out. So good, good, good for them, I suppose. Uh, full sale still does a lot of contract brewing, right? I don't know anything about full sale. Uh, I sort of lost my contacts uh, to the brewery when it got sold. So. And I haven't, I haven't actually been that interested in following up. Honestly, there's so many breweries, and yeah, uh, it's just sort of a a sad tale of woe when I look at. Well, the out. economist in me is fascinated by the tales of woe as much as the exciting yeah, sure. tales. So get on it, man. All right, <laughs> all right. And the second news item: in 2017, Congress passed a cut to excise tax, taxes as a part of the big tax cut package President Trump championed. It wasn't a permanent cut, however. It was set to expire at the end of this year in 2019. But their most, in their most recent tax law, Congress included an extension to the cuts. Uh, but that extension is only for one more year. Yeah, it expires a year from today. All right. Unless it's re-extended. So it's uh, a reprieve, really. So do you think it had a big impact, the excise <clears throat> tax cut? I think it was probably pretty darn timely. 2017 was when the market started to yeah. go downward. And I think probably there were a lot of breweries carrying more leverage than they wanted and having <laughs> having margins, a little bit better margins probably sure. didn't hurt. So, yeah. Yeah. I assume that uh, it's a good time. For You're that. right. It was sort of, even though the economy has sort of been booming for the last few years, it was a little bit, it was a little bit of a good counter cyclical jolt to an industry that was starting to slow down. Yeah, that's right. It's a good way to put it. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention because this is January 30, <laughs> December 31st, <laughs> and tomorrow is January 1st, which is uh, notable for only one reason, the Rose Bowl game. The, and you see and proudly atop my head is a uh, Wisconsin Badger cap. And we're deep in duck country. Yeah, that's true. So it makes it, makes it difficult. So you and I both have graduate degrees from University of Wisconsin. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Big Badger fans. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we were just discussing about how we're going to escape all the Duck fans uh, and watch the Badgers. Last year, it was good not to be around the Ducks. Not last year. Last time they played in the Rose Bowl, it was good not to be around all the Duck fans because the Ducks won. That sucked. Well, it could be bad. I don't know. The thing is, Oregon people are not very brutal. It's not like we're in Philadelphia or Boston. Yeah, that's true. You know, rooting for the Yankees <laughs> in Boston or something. So I don't know. Not not quite as worried about it. Uh, how do you feel about the Badgers' chances? Morose, as always. <laughs> I think if you're a true Badger fan, you should not feel good about their chances. Oh, man, I feel good. I don't feel as good, though, as I did last time they played, and yet they lost, so that was bad. I think objectively they're a better team. They but, shouldn't have lost. It's all because of that fumble. The better team doesn't always win. So. By the way, last time they played in the Rose Bowl, little fun fact, 
uh, Russell Wilson was the quarterback of the Badgers. And now, Who's that now? Yeah, I know. We, it's our, <laughs> Some it's, guy. It's our gift to the Pacific Northwest. So maybe it's time for the Pacific Northwest to give back to us. That's right. Don't hate us. Uh, we gave you Russell Wilson. <laughs> Go Badgers. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get on to the main topic, which is uh, basically a look back at the decade in craft beer. Yes? Let's do it. Okay. I think it's interesting to use an artificial frame like this just because it allows you to kind of readjust your thinking about things because especially when you're old like me, I think, oh, 2010, it was basically the same as it is now. Actually, if you think back, uh, would you say that this has been the biggest decade in craft beer in terms of how much change there's been? I pondered that a, a lot. I wrote, I've been writing some year end posts and yeah. I've been thinking about that. And, you know, <clears throat> there were such big changes in every decade. They, they, they're, you know, you're, you're seeing the, the telescope effect. So, uh, the growth growth, for example, is, is going on a bigger base. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the changes were different, but in my, until I started writing these posts, I was thinking that the last decade was relatively stable in, in terms of beer is mm. kind of how I was thinking really? about that. Huh. Uh, until I started looking and then I thought, oh, this is crazy. This was a pretty wild year, uh, decade. And there was a ton of change. Yeah, it's hard to think back, but I was just thinking about the noughties versus the tens. Yeah. And I was asking myself uh, to try to remember what what craft beer looked like in, a, in 2000 versus what it looked like in 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, and in my weak, feeble memory, I was thinking, yeah, it wasn't that different. Right. And now I think about 10 versus 19, I think, wow, like how much has changed? But maybe I'm just... Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, and I think it's partly an artifact of being old and, and in yeah, the old, in sure. the old man's mind, you have a smoothing effect. Yeah. So, you know, Simon here was, uh, half a life ago like and probably, toddler. yeah, probably thinks about the <laughs> decade differently than I do. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. And, and, the, you know, we're going to talk mostly about beer, but uh, when you think about, even when you think about certain things like cell phone usage, uh, this was the year, the decade of the smartphone. I don't know how many people had smartphones in, in 20, in 2009, but you know, they have radically changed the way we engage the world. Um, yeah. when, when we were in Europe, uh, in 2011 and I went back in 2012, uh, I can't remember if we had smartphones or not, but we did not use them the way I used them a few months ago when I was in Europe. I mean, you just they they reorient the way we engage the world and that's a huge change I and mean, it's happened that there's been an effect on that in beer as well but i mean it's you know there there are various things that we don't think about but they actually were pretty big changes in the way we live yeah that's actually a really good point that i hadn't thought about which is probably something that really adds a lot of uh dynamism to craft beer is the way that customers are using smartphones yeah i mean untapped is did not exist 10 years ago. And now it's, uh, basically, you know, everybody uses it both to score, uh, and promote good beers that they like, mm -hmm. um, uh, contempt beers they don't like, but, but also just to keep track of all these beers. So it's, it's as the market is fragmented, there's so many beers, it's a way for them to see what they've drunk. Yeah. And most places now will have, uh, some kind of reasonably updated beer list on, right. on a website mm -hmm. or or a Facebook page or something so you can quickly check and see what beers are on here or there and 
Yeah, that's I mean, true. we're also we're also a little bit, uh, uh, I guess bias is the right word, but I just mean we have uh, our perspective is skewed because we're in Portland, so we've got a bazillion choices and yeah, can think very microscopically about it. But uh, when did the original iPhone? When was it introduced? I can't remember. Hey Simon, look that up for us. The original iPhone date, two thousand eight, maybe something. Yeah, I I'm think guessing. something like that. All right, we'll, we'll we'll find out. Our researchers on. Yeah. On the job. Nice. <laughs> I assume we're going to call him an intern, so we don't have to pay him. Our intern. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll get call, We'll get you some college credit for this. That's right. That's right. There you go. So one thing it is that's fun to do. We can talk about other things, but it's always fun to do a little stats. Yeah, because this is crazy. These, are, these stats are kind of crazy. So the number of U.S. breweries in 2010, so there's 8,000 breweries now. It's a, it's a statistic people are fairly familiar with. But in 2010, there were only 1,800 breweries. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> which is amazing. And, it, and, and if you'd looked at, I didn't do this, but if you look at 1990, it wasn't that much uh, fewer than, than 1,800. It was basically an entire uh, decade of stagnation. Right. And then we have this explosion and get uh, you know, quadruples. Exactly to my point. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, on this point, you have a strong case. All right. Would it, do we have the, do we have the iPhone Simon data? has a result from his iPhone. 2007. 2007. 2007. Oh, close. But the original one was kind of a, it was not a mass market thing. And then it was like, no, was I think that's exactly to your point. It took yeah. a few, a few years by the, by 2010, they were really widespread and people were starting to use them. Right. And, and throughout this past decade, the, yeah. It's, yeah. I saw somebody pull out a, a flip phone recently <laughs> and I thought, whoa, I didn't even know this would work. Like, can I they think, even connect to the modern technology? But I of think course Motorola is like, flogging a new version of the razor yeah i saw that <laughs> <laughs> all right more stats i gotta get out my glasses though it's having a hard time yeah uh so the u.s volume of beer this is a fun fact for anyone who's wants a handy guide has been stable since about 1990 so like 30 years uh, -huh. uh the overall beer market has been roughly stable at 200 million barrels okay which is Interesting. It's a super handy little thing yeah. to know. Uh, but what that means is that the per capita consumption continues to go down because more and more people continue to come. Right. And in the last decade, it went from 19.6 down to 18.7. So we lost almost a gallon per capita a day of consumption, uh -huh. uh, which is one of the kind of driving trends. So uh, in terms of craft volume, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the... Brewers Association numbers and then talk about how they're wrong. Uh, in 2010, uh, it was 10 million barrels. And in 2019, they're listing 27 million barrels. Mm. But uh, I think that substantially undervalues it because a lot of what we would call craft beer is not measured by the Brewers Association. And that's getting worse and worse and worse as more and more of these companies. Like I'm wearing a Lagunitas shirt right now, not considered craft. Uh, Are you? Really? Right. Yeah, that's oh. what this is. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, there's so there's a bunch of breweries that that are right. So all, so all the ones that have been bought by uh, private equity or, or uh, Anheuser Busch or those. I think actually, I think private equity they still get to be considered independent uh -huh. because they're only owned by. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. We should look at full sale. But anyway, there's a bunch who have now been eliminated. Uh, the Craft Brewers Alliance hadn't been in there forever, so right, uh, right. yeah. But uh, uh, the so the average 
annual output of a craft brewer still must be much lower than it was in 2010 because if you've added 6,200 6, new breweries, there isn't that much extra volume. To... Yeah, and I think that that is that makes a lot of sense because uh, most of these breweries have opened up. This These crazy numbers didn't actually start in 2010. They started maybe four or five years later when, right. when we started adding like a thousand breweries a year. Right. Uh, and most of those are tiny little breweries, so they drag the, the average down. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of domestic lager though, the, uh, 2010 barrelage was 181 bar- million barrels and now it's down to 164 million barrels. Okay. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty accurate figure that, that measures, that's an apples to apples. Right. Uh, so I think that's a 9% drop if memory serves, which is, a you know, that's a pretty big drop. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a trend that they like to see. I'm no, sure. that's huge for the big guys. Yeah. And then, uh, in 2010 of the top, uh, 50 craft breweries, uh, that we, what we would consider craft breweries, uh, 46 were independent in 2010. And now that number is way lower. <laughs> it's, it's just way lower. It's, it's actually impossible to calculate how, what, what the number is. Uh-huh. I can't, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how it's going. I'm not sure how BA is going to deal with that. Right. So, um, but it, but it's a lot lower. So, uh, that's another thing that we have another big change we've seen. Wow. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm just looking over your shoulder since the stats are in front of you to remind myself. Uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so that's the, that's the, uh, all of this, I think you could weave into a, a little narrative, whether that narrative is complete hokey. Uh, I don't, no, but lots of new breweries. They're lot. They're much smaller, much more local. Uh, we talked about yeah. how cell phones have, uh, smartphones have really changed the marketplace in terms. I think of how the c- uh, consumers approach beer and think about beer. This, um, the uh, the other thing I was going to say is I think this is the decade, the first decade in which we have sort of uh, prime consuming age uh, or prime uh, spending age. Uh, uh, consumers who are native to craft beer. Right. Yeah, um, totally. Uh, who have, th- this is what they've grown up with. And so it's no longer a strange thing, beer, having beer that's flavorful, that's quite different, you know, uh, across different uh, presentations, right? Different styles. They're used to all of this stuff. And yeah. so I think it's created a much more savvy, promiscuous uh, uh, consumer that's interested in newer things. Um, that's always looking for something different. And I think that's really transformed the market. I think so too. I think that's, you know, really a, a tens phenomenon. One thing we should talk about is the beer itself. And, uh, we, whether we talk about that later or, or, or sooner, we should at least start drinking the beer itself. <laughs> uh, oh, I see where you're going yeah, with this. <laughs> you see where I'm headed with this. So I have in my hand a beer that was a, a big hit, uh, in the last decade. Mm-hmm. And actually achieved a fair national imprint, even though it's from our home state of Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, fresh squeezed IPA from Deschutes. And I think this uh, is an interesting beer just because it shows what, so I think this was released in t- 2013. Mm-hmm. It illustrates the changes that were happening in beer, whether you're talking about uh, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, we were headed towards the juice. Right. And uh, uh, this doesn't actually, it was, they didn't call it a juicy beer in 2013. They called it fresh squeezed, which is 
uh, and they show a picture of the juice being squozen out of it. So squozen? It, squozen. That's actually a word. I'm if pretty sure. If you say so. And now, now I question. I question it all. I retract it all. <laughs> if we were playing Scrabble, I don't know if I challenged that or not, but I probably would. But anyway, it's squeezing it out of a, a hop. It's squeezing out of a hop. It's the juice. It's and the juice from so the hop. We, so in, as early as 2013, uh, we were starting to head into the juice. So let's try some of this and see if it tastes modern or not. Yeah. And this was a big deal for a lot of people. Uh, in 2015, I was on the Beer Bible Tour and I saw this all over the country and people were going crazy for it. Uh, and I think it's because it had the juice and they had not encountered the juice before. I don't know how well Edwin is picking that up. Okay, there. Yeah, so this is interesting because the that's what I was thinking in my, uh, IPA is always kind of my touchstone when I think about the evolution of beer because it's the one thing that's been around for quite a while now. Uh, and so I was thinking about IPAs in year 2000, IPAs in year 2009. Yeah. And they changed subtly over the time, a little less face meltingly bitter, a little more presentation of the hop. But I think uh, right around the early tens was when we really started seeing beers like this right that started really emphasizing the juiciness and uh putting a lot more hops on the cold side and so this beer is not a hazy ipa it's not it's it's perfectly bright yeah and it, it has the kind of color that a brewery ha that's always admired england would have yes it's got an amber it's a sort of a classic amber ipa it's got a a head to match it has that amazing uh, aromatic of uh, the the yeast that is so characteristic of Deschutes is really present in the nose. Oh yeah, uh -huh. I'm afraid I'm not going to probably <laughs> be that helpful when it comes to smelling the beer. Mm. Oh no, it's come through. Yes, I know exactly. What you mean I can I can tell taste the yeast. I mean smell the yeast. Excuse me. Yeah, getting a little bit of the of the hop aroma aromas, but I have diminished capacity. So. Mm. Oh, that's, that's still quite lovely. It's quite lovely. And yet it's such a transitional beer. Uh, yeah. That's not, a, not anything close to a modern IPA. <laughs> yeah. You, you get, uh, you get malt character, which has largely been uh, bred out of IPAs. Yep. Uh, and you definitely have. It's got a really lovely malt character, by the way. It does. Yeah. I, it I really miss does. that malt character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think mm. we may, we may have time. Maybe we'll have time to talk a couple of, uh, predictions about the next decade, but uh, okay. I might have a prediction about malt in IPAs. All right. Uh, yeah, it's, but it's, and it's also way less juicy. It was juicy for the time, but it's way less juicy now than what we expect. Yes. Yeah. It's nothing remotely close to a, to a hazy, a modern hazy. And somewhere along the line, uh, all these new, uh, hop varieties came out and I did not note on here when, when it was, but, uh, Mosaic, for example, came out sometime in the mid decade mm -hmm. and it was characteristic of a lot of the hops that were really lighting people up. Nelson yeah. Sauvin, uh, in, uh, from New Zealand and Amarillo, El Dorado, all mm -hmm. those kinds of hops that we were growing here later on, uh, but, this new Sabro hop came. Mm -hmm. So all well, these things were changing the, the, the juice. Too. Yeah. But Mosaic became completely ascendant, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I think the two hops, the, you know, you talk about the old, the old sea hops were kind of right. like the, the taste of the nineties. Cascade, and, Centennial and Chinook. No. And, um. Yeah. And Chinook. Chinook. Okay. Yeah. 
and now I think it's Citra and Mosaic. And Citra was actually yes. released in 2007, but those two hops are in everything and they really change stuff. And I wonder actually, does it talk about which the hops are? I wonder if we got Citra, Citra here. Wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if this was an early adopter of the Citra. Well, I guess it wasn't that early, but. Oh yeah, and on the back it says impossibly juicy. I wonder if it always said that. <laughs> For some debate uh, uh, that I was having, which is now a new a new th a thing that happened in the uh, in this last decade was we had debates about small points on uh, social media. Uh -huh. So we were <laughs> trying to figure out what was the first use of juicy uh -huh. to describe an IPA and uh, or describe a hop a hoppy beer to describe the the characteristic of hops. Oh and, my gosh, you know. Um why the yeast is so present is because they actually can condition this. This is from a can. Nice. They can condition this with yeast. Who who would do that in this modern era? Very few people. That's right. Uh, but Sierra Nevada would, another old time brewery. Yeah. So. Yeah, there is no, um, there's no information about hops in here. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, intern. intern. <laughs> <laughs> look, look and see if you can see what the hops are in fresh squeezed IPA from Deschutes. Ooh, I like this. this yeah, is this is really, we have, we've really hit on something here. <laughs> you might, you might be earning half a credit here. But. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, I wrote a blog post about the, the beer styles that I thought were interesting and, uh, changed, kind of changed brewing in, mm -hmm. in, uh, the 2010s. And it was, it's really funny to look at, uh, the IPA style just to see the evolution. Oh, do we have an answer already? Man, the intern is the intern is good. Really good. The intern's native to these smartphone thingies. Citra mosaic and nugget. Wow. Citra mosaic and nugget. There Citra you are. Citra mosaic and nugget. So they're yeah. already using mosaics too. Uh, as the decade dawned, black IPAs were a big thing, and here we were debating whether to call them CDAs, Cascadian Dark Ale, right. here in Oregon. Yeah. And not too long after that, white IPAs came along. Uh huh. So we we're seeing these kind of forays into uh ipas that didn't work and at the end of the decade brute ipa came along and i think it's also a dead i think yeah. it's a dead duck too yeah but then in the middle of the decade the big one was the fruit ipa ballast points uh grapefruit sculpt yeah yeah and of course the hazy was the big the big uh innovation in in uh, brewing that changed everything and now yeah because a, i think though the mid the mid teens there was a lot of those, I think probably because of Ballast Point, but there were a lot of um, IPAs that would actually add juice. I don't, I don't know if, if Ballast Point did or if they just did it through the hops. But then no, I, they, they added, they the added grape, juice, grape, right? Grapefruit Sculpin. Right. I think they added, and this is another characteristic that happened the last decade, is I think they did a food flavoring, not actual juice. Oh. Because they were making it at massive volumes. Yeah, because I was going to say, sometimes when you put citrus juice in a beer, I don't like it because it sort of, the acidity is too much. Yeah. Uh, and then and then brewers got so good at producing those same flavors through just the hops that I think by now it's very rare to see a yeah. fruited beer, right? Yeah, I mean, I think black IPA, white IPA, brewed IPA, fruit IPAs all had their moment and they all kind of died pretty fast. That was good. Yeah, I do not uh, lament the passing of the CDA or dark IPA. By the way, yeah, I, <laughs> I never, never was a fan. <laughs> I was not a fan either. I I do kind of like the white IPA. I wish there were like we have Deschutes here. They made one called Chainbreaker that I really liked. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> all right, we have a, <laughs> we. I think we have a, the the demonstration of why that beer is no longer available. <laughs> but I like I like I like me a good hazy, and I think I'm a little different from you at that point. No, I like me a good hazy too. The problem is, for in my experience. The, the the good hazies are a 
disappointingly small number of the hazy few and far between yeah. yeah although i think that there are a larger proportion here in in uh in oregon in the pacific northwest because what you and i like is a nice balance a nice bitter back to yeah. the juiciness and if you go out uh, usually the ones i find in the in the east coast are uh, almost devoid of any bitterness at all. It's yeah, that's the char- that is the characteristic they're going for out there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <clears throat> one thing, since we mentioned it, is tech. This was a, a thing that I had written about uh, when, uh, oh, I don't know, two or three years ago. It occurred to me that the original craft beer revolution, one of the main reasons it was sparked was because a lot of home brewers were looking around and saying, man, modern American beers are, they're made with enzymes, they're high gravity brewed, they have other flavor additives, they have uh, that that hop product that means they can be put in a clear bottle and not get light struck. They have, it's like they're highly engineered, engineered products. And so the first generation of craft brewers was very, uh, traditional, like they, they wanted, they were like a lot of more hippies back to the earther types and they, they, it was sort of akin to the organic movement. Yeah. And then that just evolved over time. Uh, and we started seeing the addition of whole, whole ingredients and, uh, you know, fruit came along, spices, vegetables Mm -hmm. became more and more common. And then we had the weird flavors, the cereal flavored stuff. And now we're having, uh, very highly, uh, engineered things that are added in. Like, uh, one of the big things is cryo hops. So that's a, uh, you know, a, a hop product that removes all the leaf matter, but you also have hop extracts and enzymes and now flavorings. Like I'm pretty sure, uh, we found in, in a lot of those fruit IPAs. So we're, we're seeing kind of like food science coming along. So it's a different thing. It's not exactly the same as the original brewers. They were using it mostly for efficiency purposes to, right. you know, make, make beer, uh, cheaper and more consistent. And now it's more food science approach, but it is interesting how yeah. the technology was once scorned and is now embraced. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say just the overall attitude about what you can put in beer and how you can make beer. It used to be, they used to be kind of militant about, no, no, you can't put anything <laughs> yeah. in it and you have to make it in a very traditional way. And and now, uh, I mean, there's innovation just in sort of the, the methods. For example, these big juicy IPAs are made in a way that no one was doing 10 years ago, right? So totally. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of, I think, I think that's actually uh, quite a good point. We've sort of moved past that real, I don't know, traditional artisanal approach into one that's, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> He's waving a beer at me. Uh, uh, into one that sort of embraces innovation and um, experimentation, right? Yeah. I think that's a sign of a mature uh, industry. Well, speaking of flavors, uh, another trend that really got going in the aughts was the uh, uh, kettle soured beer. And I have a kind of a cool early version of one of those. Yeah. When, when would you say they started appearing? When will when this one appear? This one appeared in 2011. Okay. So this amazingly. is Ben Brewing Company. So we went to Ben for both of these two different companies in Ben, but this one is called Ching Ching. And it was, um, I remember when it came out. Ah, there you go. Yeah. It was, um, you know, I don't think I've ever had this. Oh, nice. That's good. Yeah. It was a real mind bender for a lot of people. And it's almost 10 years ago that this was released now. 
but it, it kind of predicted a lot of the trends the industry was going to go in. I mean, you, you can see even in, in, in a beer like this, which is made with uh, pomegranate and hibiscus, uh, sort of the echo that would lead us to seltzer. Yeah. So. Uh, what I was going to say is uh, this is also a, a much lower alcohol, which yeah. is another trend I'm going to talk about, but we can put that off for a second. So this is Ben Brewing Company's Ching Ching Sour Ale with pomegranates and hibiscus. It looks pretty lovely. Yeah, it looks not like a beer. It's very bright red, yeah? Uh, yeah, it is bright red. It's it's uh, hazy, a bit hazy. A little bit hazy. hazy meter, it might be, what, a six or something? Yeah, maybe not that high. Five. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's actually kind of a flavor profile that at the time was wild, but now you mm -hmm. see a lot of. Yeah, I mean, this is, it has evolved so much that, you know, John Harris has like a line of beers that are like this. Uh, and we and I think we think of them as being a, a kind of a later phenomenon, a mid to late uh, teens thing, but. Um, yeah, I'm surprised how early this was. Yeah, it was really early. And it's uh, Tanya Cornett, who is the, was the brewer there who did this. Mm -hmm. uh, also, not so many women in the, in the industry, and I, I think she was a, an important brewer, and this was a pretty important beer. Yeah, this is um, uh, sort of quite, quite a typical flavor profile. We have a nice neutral sour, mm -hmm. so that yeah. kettle souring gives you a nice, easy neutral sour to, to play off of. Uh, and then you can blend in some sweet, like in this case with pomegranate and um, uh, hibiscus. It's a real lemonade profile. A little, a little sweet, a little tart. Yep. A little fizzy goes down easy. Yeah. 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 And this one's really nicely done. Actually, I've not, it is. I've not had this before. Um, it's a really good one, and the reason it's still being brewed, and the reason mm. it others got brewed, was I think because it was so successful. Yeah, pomegranate. That was a good choice. Yeah, it not, really was. Not one I would have thought of. It's an intense flavor, but it's already kind of tilting in that acidic direction. So it harmonizes well, sort of like, uh, raspberries and cherries do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, I need to stop us for a second, please. Because before we go any further, we'd like to thank Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring the Beer Ivana podcast. Freem has a new slate of beers coming out this winter, including Fra Flanders Red and Flanders Blonde, both aged 18 months in oak barrels and Keller beer. It's crisp, rustic lager. Oh, Hey, how'd you get that in there? Okay. <laughs> and Super Saison. Oh, there's more. Wait a minute. <laughs> no wonder you're looking at me cross-eyed. And Super Saison, a special strong winter ale, Mosaic Pale Ale, and Eau de Brune, Freem's Fooder Age homage to the old beers of Belgian Flanders. Yeah, we hadn't talked about how we were going to do that, but I uh, but I knew you would be so excited <laughs> when you uh, got Keller to the beer. Keller beer. Yes. Oh, I love the Keller beer. <laughs> but what was so exciting is that... Uh, I was worried that I'd sort of missed the Keller beer, like it, it was on its way out, but no. No, it's coming back, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They just released their winter, uh, the announcement of their winter beers. And some of these um, will be a little bit later and some will be immediately, but look for them at a uh, fine purveyor near you. That's right. And especially look for that Keller beer. <laughs> that Keller beer is so good. Uh, okay. Uh, now, where were, we, where were we? Oh, yeah. We were talking about this. Uh, this oh, other, yeah. Kettle sours. This, uh, kettle sours. So uh, kettle souring, I'm going to be a little bit of a, uh, uh, a drag here and say that um, I kind of felt like kettle souring, souring got a little bit out of hand and there was too much kettle souring and not with a whole lot of thought. It, it was such an easy way to build a sort of a, a palatable beer that I almost feel like kettle souring kind of uh, jumped the shark. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, <clears throat> I, I I know what you mean, and I feel like maybe jump jump the shark is not the perfect metaphor because <laughs> I think it came back, but there was a period of excess there that I agree that I was. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I that's true. You don't see them everywhere all the time, but after a while, I sort of like, oh yeah, this is another one. I kind of this is I can't barely distinguish this from the three others I've had or eight others I've had. Yeah, yeah, yeah and there were increasingly abstruse flavor profiles, and yeah, yeah, and just kind of almost. Uh, it's weird to say this because. You know, they, they feature both sweet and, and tart, but almost just bland in the sense that it all just kind of washed together. Like it was, oh yeah, I can throw in a little sour and I throw in a little sweet and oof, here yeah. we go. Right. You know? Yeah. Like I think, you know, just like any style, uh, you need to think about what you're doing, mm -hmm. execute it properly and probably make a few batches before it comes all into per perfection. And a lot of breweries were not doing that as you point out. Yeah. Cause I think it was pretty... Well, I don't know. I've actually never, you know, we did try to do one once, but, uh, I, I just find it must be a reasonably easy, uh, thing to throw together and make a decent beer. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably true. Uh, if it's, if it's not decent, it's probably, you got to dump it. So it's, if, if you make it past that first one, you're all right. Yeah. And you have a little flexibility too. So you can kind of like play with the sweet and the sour until you hit something that's okay. And then off you go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway uh okay next moving on uh i want to talk about alcohol by volume for a second since it's staring me in the face yeah let's do uh i don't actually have a good stat on this but i have a, my recollection would suggest that the big ipas were still big in 2010 mm -hmm. the big double ipas and and <clears throat> IP, people calling themselves an ipa when they're 6.8 percent oh yeah that that was way into this decade. That, okay, thank you. Yeah, your change. <laughs> you, you are correct to observe I the change. I always doubt my memory. Uh, and and uh, it was tough. I was already starting to to want more sessionable beers back then. And it was often tough. Uh, there's a specific example that I can recall looking at a beer menu, but I just don't remember where it was, where they were offering about 20 beers on tap. And I just went down, 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 looking for something sessionable. And there was almost nothing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so nowadays I go to a beer place, at least in Portland, and half of it at least will probably be uh, under five and a half, mm -hmm. which I think, is delightful. <laughs> I think this is, uh, a, there's a related trend or a, a, if that's the general category, there's an important trend within this category that I love, which is uh, the return of, of good loggers, mm -hmm. uh, which you could not really find anywhere at the start of the decade. Yes. And now that, that, that usually represents a big part of the lower alcohol. Yeah. And now you're, you're seeing a bunch of, I mean, everybody was so scared, even as late as, as 2010, they were still the echoes of big beer, uh, still repressed the lager market. Yes. No yeah. matter how wonderful and, and complex a lager you were making, uh, people still didn't, weren't responding to it, but then something changed. And I think probably it had to do with millennial drinkers who were natives and didn't have that prejudice. So right. they started drinking beer. And I think they were probably the ones who were uh, largely responsible for loggers getting a second look. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the the modern beer drinker today, you might actually know what the what consumption by age looks like. I know that younger people are drinking less beer and more spirits and stuff. But, uh, but certainly I think we've reached a fairly mature uh, a consumer base in craft beer now that has never known a world in which basically all you had were mass market loggers, right? Yeah. I mean, you and I are in our fifties and, uh, you know, we, we, when we started drinking craft beer was actually available. So it wasn't common and most people were still drinking 
regular beers, but we're pretty long in the tooth. So yeah. anybody younger than us, it's going to just be, have a greater impact in their lives. And so if you're 30 and you came along 20 years later, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. So if much you, more of an here's, here's one test that I have, which is if you walk by the fraternities at Oregon State University and see the dumpsters and that stuff, you'll still find, you'll still find a lot of like, well, we're in the Northwest. So you'll find a lot of hams right. and, <laughs> and fairly cheap loggers that serve a purpose, which is obvious. I won't say it, uh, but you'll, you'll find a lot. Refreshment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Quick refreshment when you're really thirsty and want a lot of, want a lot of liquid, you need to rehydrate. Uh, yeah. uh, but you'll find a lot. I mean, they, they drink a lot of, of craft beer and, yeah. and you can do so at a reasonable price point now. That's another interesting thing that, uh, w one of the big market trends or one of the big trends on the business side was we saw the stratification. So mm -hmm. the, uh, craft beer, I think in 2010 was probably fairly uniform in all being within a dollar or two, a six pack on right. the grocery store. Yeah. And then we saw this big, this big change in, in this decade. And you mm -hmm. had, uh, breweries like founders with their all day IPA selling at 15 packs at a, you know, much reduced rate. Right. Sam Adams got into that a little bit. Yeah. There were breweries that decided to, to, you know, go after the budget consumer. Yeah. And that was something that craft brewers hadn't done before. Yeah. I mean, here in Oregon, I mean, you can get a, a, uh, a case of, I don't know, um, you know, Deschutes maybe, or, uh, Sierra Nevada for sure. That's almost the same price as Budweiser. Now Budweiser is a premium price, mass market lager. It's not hams, but, yeah, but still, it, I mean, you're not, you're not making a huge, a huge financial commitment to, it, to step up in beer. Yeah, it's really true. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're seeing a compression there. So that's been a big change. All right. So we should, <laughs> we should, uh, yeah, that's uh, true. uh, move, move on here. You have something about, um, collectives you want to talk about that oh yeah uh that's another we, we saw a lot of buyouts but one thing that was a weird and unexpected trend to me mm, right was this this formation of these different brewery collectives so uh mortgat duval mortgat started it off i right. think with uh uh Oma gang firestone walker and uh, uh boulevard, boulevard. Yeah. but then kenarchy was pretty close behind a collection of of beers uh, breweries that were all craft breweries that you know, distributed across the United States, uh, Cigar City, Oscar Blues, and others. Wasatch, Three Weavers, you're right. Yep. And then... Ottersmall Brewing Ventures, Six Point, Southern Tier, and Victory. Yep. And, and then this new one, Legacy Breweries, which is with Ninkasi's Jam. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's kind of an interesting thing. Any, any, any info about how well those have done? Have, as a collective versus independent breweries? You know, I, one thing that... The one that I'm most familiar with uh -huh. is the uh, Duval right. group. Yeah. And what's fascinating uh, to me is that there's kind of an evening thing that goes on. Mm -hmm. So Firestone Walker had one of the best, I, I would say Firestone Walker had to pick one brewery that was the brewery of the decade. I would, I would choose Firestone Walker because right. uh, they seem to always be ahead of trends. They drove a golden ale trend that was <laughs> yeah. a really big deal. And then they were really early on the, the craft lager with Pivo pills. Mm -hmm. So they've just been, uh, you know, they had a great year and, and they sold a ton of beer and really grew fast. Yeah. Oma gang on the other hand, uh, kind of languished in the decade. Didn't didn't like shrink horribly, but actually drifted back to earth a bit. Yeah, and they I were think, one of the bells of the ball in the in the noughties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think Boulevard. I don't know. Boulevard was kind of in between them. So, right. one thing it does do is you sort of collectivize your risk. 
yeah, you, you know, you, you come together and you say, well, we'll, we'll all do our best. And, but one of us is probably going to hit the, the magic, you know, golden ale trend by, by chance and right. somebody else isn't. So we'll, we'll collectivize that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh we can just run through a, the last few are things these, that are, I thought were interesting. Are these and then, trends of the of the te- of the tens? Yeah, trends okay. of the tens. All right, so let's hear them. Uh, I mentioned new hop varieties. Gluten free and non alcoholic beer was uh, mm, you know yeah. these these adjuncts to the main market. Uh, yeah, and especially recently, I think non alcoholic beers are making a push. Yeah, both both mass market and craft. Yeah, I agree, and probably will actually be a much bigger story in the next decade. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, legal weed affected beer. We saw some CBD beer, but mostly it was just kind of a thing that was there that was. Uh, you know, beer adjacent kind of interesting. Yeah. Another, uh, another thing for the next decade, I think we'll start seeing a lot of yeah. interesting. Especially as more and more states get uh, legal recreational cannabis. Yeah. Um, the taproom phenomenon was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, that goes with the the explosion of breweries. Um, low-car, locale, low-carb beers, uh, we kind of touched on locale, but these are like the Michelob Ultra and Seltzers have sparked this. Yeah, movie. and some of the big, like, like I know Deschutes is pushing... Wowza. These beers. Yeah. yeah. So I think some of these bigger breweries are thinking this might be a way, a new sort of market to tap into. Yeah. The super health conscious athlete, athletic type. Which everybody says the, is all about the millennials and Gen Z. So yeah. maybe, maybe that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, the last two I'll mention are kind of industry trends that I really liked. One was professionalization of the industry. I actually got in a debate with a brewer who disagreed with this, but I know a lot, lot, lot more brewers who are who have degrees who have actually gone to college uh, yeah. for uh, to be trained. Um, and then there's the Cicerone program, which gets some cre- uh, some criticism for the way it's structured and the the fee model and it's private and all that. But but it, you know, I mean, I remember at the start of the 2010s, sometimes you would ask somebody. Uh, what a, you know, you'd say, oh, uh, I really like this kind of beer. What, what do you have that's like that? And they would, they would give you a radically different kind of beer. And the person clearly (laughs) had no idea anything about beer. It's like, well, that's a beer. They're both the same color. That, that has really changed. Now you find a much greater level of, uh, agreed upon nomenclature and understanding of beer styles. And I think that's great. By the, by the way, I would just uh, argue on your behalf in terms of professionalization that even if you don't have form, if you, even if you're not formally educated, it's such a deep uh, and widespread market now that people are getting uh, vocationally trained on the job. That's right. And much, much more uh, uh, deeper way than they were in the past. Right. And, and, and learning best practices at breweries that know how to brew instead of like trying to figure out how to make a dairy tank work. Yeah. And understanding, yeah. And understanding a little more about the chemistry and what's going on. And yeah, yeah. I, I find, you know, you talk to brewers now versus 20 years ago and it's almost like night and day and how much they know mm-hmm. about the whole process. Yeah, totally agree. And the last thing, and this is a one that I'm really excited about, uh, women have become much more part of the industry mm-hmm. in, at all levels yeah. than they were in 2010. And I think that'll just continue. Still, so. still way too small, but yeah, way too small, but, but, um, the number, the amount of growth between 1980 and 2010 was fractional, and then it exploded by comparison in in, in uh, percentage growth. Yeah. So and you have a few other little beer trends we haven't touched on. I'll just mention uh, really quickly, like uh, pastry stouts. Yeah, are pastry stouts. That's kind of a, are they a, are they a thing of the past? Or are they going to continue? Well, they're a thing of the now, and <sighs> I think they'll. I think they'll. They'll. They're not going to. I think they'll be with us forever. Okay. Uh, but I don't think they will be a. 
giant phenomenon forever. What do you think about the milkshake IPAs? I think those will uh, be an embarrass an embarrassing <laughs> thing that we think on uh, as juvenilia. We'll look back and interesting. Think. So even so, do you think that the that the um, the, the IPA always evolves. So I kind of disagree just in just just as a as a blanket point that like well, it's going to continue to evolve. And if it's something that's popular now, that something else has got to be popular in the future because people like to see change. But just this kind of idea of the hazy profile in the IPA. Well, I think that so I distinguish between the milkshake. No, no, and I know the you hazy. do. That's yeah, what yeah. I'm just saying. So milkshakes, okay, I get that. But yeah, no, I think hazy's worth us for good. I mean, yeah. I, or I think the I think the thing that really I. I'm not, I'm not convinced that people will be so focused on the, the opacity of the beer uh -huh. a decade from now, but I think that the soft hopping, the tropical fruit flavors, the yeah. juiciness, all of that stuff, I can't imagine that going away anytime yeah. soon. And the last one you had is Mexican and Japanese lagers. Yeah. That was part of the lager trend and those, those came along. Those were pretty cool. You didn't mention glitter beer. Yeah. That, it, came, that came and went. It know. came and went so fast, despite but, my efforts to whole, promote it. But there's a whole podcast on it, so go back and look. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We got we jumped on that trend, maybe a little bit too hasty. That was, no, but that was fun. It was. It's, it's good to jump on the trend. I actually enjoyed that. Uh, but I'm not actually surprised that it kind of came and went really quickly. All right, so we better, we better move on. We better move on. Uh, we have Mailbag and Sherpa. We have a couple minutes to do this. <laughs> so let's, let's go right into it. Uh, should I start? Yeah. Uh, is this, this going to be bad? And, and, and I, I assume this one would be tight. So these are, I don't think it would require a ton of comment from us. So go for it. Okay. So Greg uh, Beeler, I think is how you pronounce it. My apologies if not. So Greg Beeler writes, I've been a steady consumer of your blog and podcast for several years. The blog meaning Jeff. I've noticed that despite your extensive studies, exploration, and work in the field of beer, your efforts seem understandably concentrated in the regions that are West, East Coast centric. As a lifelong Midwesterner and a Cleveland native, I welcome you to visit and indulge in the active craft beer movement ongoing in the Great Lakes region. If you ever like to come to visit Cleveland, know there's a place for you to crash and willing guide to help you with the bearings. Thank you very much. There is much to enjoy from the sensory perspective. If anything, I'd love to get your take on Midwestern brewing traditions. Cheers and happy new year. We should go to Cleveland. We should go to Cleveland. I've never been to Cleveland. I've always wanted to go to Cleveland. Uh... The whole, I mean, you could do, it's, you know, it's not too far to go start in Chicago, head over to Cleveland, then go to, I don't know. You know, I've never been to Columbus, Ohio either. Oh, I, I've been I, to Columbus. I hear good things about Columbus. Yeah. I almost took a job in Columbus. Oh, but, let's not speak of that. But I didn't. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I didn't Thank know you. that. Holy moly. You didn't? Yeah. Ohio State. I must have known Buckeyes. that, but I blotted it out. It's too yeah. upsetting to consider. The badger in me just wouldn't let it happen. Yeah, good it's man. Like, no, can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I didn't get I didn't get to see too much of Columbus. It seems like a, a pretty nice place. Yeah. Interesting place. Sort of a place in that point that was a half college town, half growing big city, half post-industrial Midwestern place. It looked very interesting from a from a scholarly perspective. Yeah, it seems interesting to me too. Uh, yeah, but you're right. Uh, I, I think fundamentally I'm speaking for you because he's mostly talking to you, but it's hard. Yeah, uh, uh, craft beer is quite regional. It is. And which is wonderful about it, but it means you got to get out there yeah. uh, and travel. And so we've, <laughs> we keep having abortive attempts. We've done a little bit locally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm still trying to get Jeff up to Vancouver, BC because that'll be the, the farthest flung we've gotten so far. Um, but we hope to do more. Yeah. All right. You want to do the last one? Sure. Uh, I was listening to episode 95 of your podcast and uh, the bar you were trying to think of. So this is a, a, a clarifier for old men with bad memories. Uh, this comes from Tyler Cohen. I'm sorry. Um, 
so Tyler is uh, offering a, a bit of data. So <laughs> go back and listen to episode 95 and then come back and listen to this. I was listening to episode 95 of your podcast and the bar you were trying to think of in DC was called the Brick Skeleton. Yes, thank you. There thank it is. you. Oh. <laughs> uh, and it closed, unfortunately, a little oh. while back. Um, I think at one point that had a record for the most beers available anywhere. That's what so I remember when I was there. They had like a hundred taps, which yeah. now it's like, oh yeah, everybody has a hundred taps. But, <laughs> but at the time, yeah, I think it marketed itself as like the most beers on tap you can possibly get. So there it is. Thank and you, it was Tyler. really cool. I mean, and it is so DC to me in that DC wasn't like a great beer town in terms of having lots of its own microbreweries, but it was a place in which you could sample things from everywhere, which what I love about DC. Well, there you go. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap on this podcast. Uh, so um, we're do, running, running out of... Running oh, out of. I, I do want to say, if you had to give a, a one Sherpa, think, and I, you don't even have to think about it very much, name a beer from the, the last decade that you, uh, you'd like to highlight, and I'll do one too. Uh, okay, you start so I can think. I am going to go with, well, I got to go with a local brewery. I'm sorry. And it's so, and it's so local. No one will even have ever heard of it, but, uh, well, they, they will. Cause we had, uh, Alex Ganum on and, uh, that's my brewery is upright. And I would like to highlight pathways to Saison, which is a beer that keeps coming back to me in my dreams. Uh, mixed fermentation beer that he, uh, barrel ages in four different barrels and then does a, a blend of, uh, he releases it every year. And the, the one that I really liked was, uh, I think a couple of years ago and it was literally one of the best beers I ever had in my life. And I will remember the uh, decade in part because uh, mixed fermentation saisons became uh, more and more common to find. And I believe they're possibly the most accomplished beers that Americans currently brew, the, the most accomplished style. And that was my favorite. So there you go. What do you got? Awesome. That's a high bar. I don't know. It's, I'm on the spot, so I'm not going to say favorite, but one of the things that I like uh, so much because it coincided so perfectly with my decrepit aging falling apart body is the is the um the rise of the of the loggers and so the one that pops in, immediately into my head it's uh one of my all-time favorites another super local so apologies but zoggle is pilsner oh yeah Excellent. uh northern german version so a little spicy hoppy version of a of typical german pilsner one gold at the jbf uh and i yeah, i could choose a few locals uh, and I was debating which one, <laughs> which one to choose, but I think that this whole lagering trend for me has been uh, outstanding. I, I really, really, really enjoy these modern craft lagers. It's really nice to be able to enjoy a real presentation of a lager outside of Germany right. <laughs> or Czech Republic right. uh, to get something local uh, and not have to resort to a mass market lager. So uh, I think it represents a trend, but it also is a great beer in and of itself. So that's Zeugelhaus's Pilsner. All right. Well, okay. So let's excellent. Let's uh. Let's head out. Well, you got to read the outro. Oh, we have an outro. Oh, that's right. It's on a separate page. I was all ready to go. I forgot all that stuff. <laughs> because we're, because we're over time. So yeah, I was trying to we, get us out of here. We, yeah, we didn't do it right. Oh, well, well. <laughs> Which is funny because I thought this one would be short. But once we start talking. Yeah. All right. A few words going out. Once again, we want to extend a hearty thank you to Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beer Vana podcast. You can find them in Hood River, Oregon and at freembeer.com. P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R.com. And you can subscribe to us, please, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. This helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervanablog.com or on Twitter to, uh, to our Twitter feed at beervanapod.
Uh, and you can find Patrick tweeting at Beeronomics. Jeff uh, also tweets at the, at Beervana and writes the Beervana blog. So go find him there. Ta-da. Okay, well now done. we're done. <laughs> now we can cheers. All right. <laughs> I just want an excuse to drink another beer. Uh, wait a minute. I picked up the uh, Ching Ching from Ben Brewing. And I have Fresh Squeezed. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, goodbye to the teens and hello to the 20s. Hello, twenties. The, Hello ro- 20s. the uh, roaring twenties. Will they roar? We'll see. All right. <laughs> All right. Next time on Beervana. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>